Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and joining us today on The Scoop for the first time together, which is a real treat, Solana co-founders Raj Gokul and Anatoly Yankovenko. Gentlemen, really appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show and, and do a bit of reflection, do a bit of forward thinking, and just have like a really, you know, natural, fun conversation before we dive in, though, of course, I have to thank our sponsors. So let's go ahead and do that. Huobi, one of the world's leading virtual asset exchanges, has been providing convenient and professional virtual asset management services to more than 50 million users in more than 160 countries for nearly a decade. At Huobi, their mission is to make crypto accessible, to help you understand risks and make informed decisions to protect you and your assets. Learn more today at Wobi.com. This episode is also brought to you by Ledin. From Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans, Ledin's financial services enable you to benefit from your holdings today without selling your Bitcoin. Learn more about Ledin at Ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Once again, I want to thank my guests, Raj and Anatoly, for coming on the show. Gentlemen, how are things going? Yeah, thank you for having us. Of course. It's been a wild uh, few weeks. Not much has happened, really. You know, we're just kind of, you know, relaxing and <laughs> not thinking about. We had a great conference. We had a great, and then, yeah. yeah. And then that took was... a break right after that. Just took a nice, pleasant break. <laughs> so I talked to Austin, your head of comms, when everything started to unravel. I was like, how are you feeling? And he was, you know, no one was feeling good in those first few days. But what have the last few weeks been like for you, Anatoly? What, you know, the, there was obviously an initial shock of the FTX meltdown. And what's it been like? You know, I know for you personally, and, I, and I'd say this for Raj too, you're not very easily distracted or very easily distractible, but I'm sure it was a blow. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was really strange. The whole experience was pretty strange for me because we had such an amazing conference, like despite the bear general bear market, we had like twice as many people show up to Breakpoint, like uh, 3,600 attendees, which is kind of insane. The energy was awesome. And then on the flight back is when I started seeing this like shit happening over Twitter and like um, just reconciling both of those things in my head is still like pretty weird. It really feels like that was like a year ago. Like everything that happened prior prior to this event was like ancient history. It's really, really, really strange feeling. Yeah. And Raj, what about you? Yeah, definitely feeling the effects of time dilation. Um, Breakpoint definitely feels like uh, at least a year ago. But um, same as Tolly, I think we were riding high. And a lot of the feedback that we were getting was that Breakpoint was like, DevCon in 2018, whereas Breakpoint of last year was like DevCon in 2017. So first you have the excitement and a lot of speculation and a lot of enthusiasts. And then in the follow-up, you have 
you know, just hundreds of builders um, that have real products to demo and, you know, have a lot of excitement about what comes in the next year, but it's very fundamentals focused and a lot of the noise is gone and, and there's a lot of ability to just focus on product and what the technology enables. And yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely a shock what, what happened with FTX, but I think the feeling in the industry was generally that there was some other shoe or shoes to drop in this part of the market cycle. I just don't think anybody thought it was going to be FTX and that it was going to happen so quickly. But, you know, a lot of people say it was unfortunate timing of having Breakpoint right before the FTX collapse. But actually, I think it was such a solidifying moment for the community where, you know, again, after a year of just being so heads down and, and the Solana ecosystem is a very concentrated with very focused builders, like you said, they're pretty hard to distract and, and they, they tend to keep their, their mind away from the noise. But having them all come together and then have, you know, a big event to organize around and defend the network against and show up and grow and step into leadership roles that maybe they felt overshadowed against and weren't ready to, to step into before the FTX collapse. I think it was a huge maturation moment for the network. So you know, I think it was actually very fortunate that everyone got together and had that camaraderie at Breakpoint and that hope and were reminded why they're here building. And then they got faced with a pretty big, um, uncertain and cataclysmic event and organized around it very quickly. Obviously, for folks who maybe are um, unfamiliar a bit with the history, uh, you know, Solana was the darling of the last cycle. Part of a cadre of coins that saw huge gains alongside maybe we'll say Luna and, and Avalanche and some of these coins that kind of dominated the news cycle of the last year or so. But I feel like the prominence, um, a part of sort of its public awareness, as it were, was tied to the the rise of FTX as well. And, you know, he was sort of an advocate, right, for Solana to a degree. When you sort of think about the history, obviously everything is more obvious or clear with the blessing of hindsight, but in all of those dealings, the building out of Serum, engaging with FTX and Sam, were there any things that in hindsight seemed a bit off? So like um, we started Solana in 2018 mm -hmm. and I think this was even before FTX existed. And we had like literally this idea of blockchain and NASDAQ speed was at the core of what Solana was about. That was the, our pitch in our slide deck. This is what I explained, like the two second elevator pitch was this is a, a really, really fast blockchain for like NASDAQ style applications. And in 2020, right when we launched is when we got connected to Sam and FTX. And I don't know if you remember what Solana was like at the, at the time. Uh, we barely had a functioning explorer. The wallet was command line, mm -hmm. but we were the first next generation chain to launch. So all the tooling was really, really bad, but we could actually demonstrate that a fast blockchain is possible. We have this demo called Break, still up and running today. You go to break.solana.com, you smash your keys and you see transactions confirm within a, a one, one and a half seconds. So you can fire them off as fast as you can. There's still no other chain that can do this. This is like dumb demo. And this is what we demoed to Sam and their team. And this was early, like, you know, I guess, what is it, May 2020 or something like that? 
FTX mm-hmm. was, I think, a top 10 exchange, but barely at the mm-hmm. time. They were up and coming and they were also still very small. And they started stress testing our network, just using break, slamming it. And the next day, Sam was like, okay, we want to build a DeFi thing, but we don't want it to be um, like a cheesy sidechain, like that's a knockoff of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. The stack seems like it could do what we want. So they put four of their engineers on this and built out Serum. And that was like the start of that relationship. And that was very significant investment on their part. What was interesting too there is like that break demo that Tully mentioned. Mm-hmm. We gave that to basically everyone in the industry. We were back to back on phone calls all day for like a month, demoing to everyone, you know, the very visceral feeling of how fast transactions confirm on a global, globally distributed mainnet for Solana, because that was the thing that we had proven out. And the FTX team and Sam were the only ones that took the open source repo and immediately started stress testing the network and and using that code to do their own performance benchmarking. And then they just moved so quickly after that. In those early days, it was a very engineering-driven relationship. We were like close to their engineering team. There was a lot of quick turnaround time on product development. And that was like... You know, like that, like romance of 2020 was awesome. They could build stuff very quickly and build tooling on top, explorers, all this other shit. Mm. But like with regards to like flags or something like that, what happened later on, and you could start seeing that during like the NFT boom in Solana is that FTX became a much bigger brand, a much bigger thing and started going in a very global direction Mm -hmm. where they're trying to grow FTX in the US all over the place. But we were focused on like, building stuff for self-custody users. Like this was like the primary thing that we cared about is like how many people we get with wallets, with Phantom or whatever, and like doing stuff on chain, like actually using the network. And that's where you can kind of see like their participation in hackathons dwindled and stuff like that. And there was a bit of a kind of like, they just really weren't paying attention to like the core thesis, I think that established that relationship. And in those early days, I thought, they were super forward thinking like Serum was going to be eventually the backbone of FTX, that it was so good. And like the team was so forward thinking that they were disrupting themselves with DeFi because I don't know, at that time in 2020, DeFi felt like it was really going to take like traditional finance by storm, right? And like take everything over. It felt like there was a chance of that happening. Yeah. And Binance was already, you know, showing that they were pretty forward thinking on launching Binance Smart Chain and bringing all their users over, but it felt like, you know, doing it in half measure, but having a credibly neutral third party network that already existed, that's highly performant that you could do, um, you know, an on-chain central limit order book, which I think everyone was kind of anticipating existing at some point, but then actually having the fastest growing exchange, you know, disintermediate itself with that product. That was the hope of, you know, a cornerstone for Solana DeFi that gave the market a lot of interest and, and gave us a lot of excitement. And then what Tully mentioned around NFTs, I think that was a pretty clear fork in the road because the goal, I guess, that the FTX team had and continue to have, just like Coinbase and Binance and others, was that NFTs should become just another asset in these centralized exchanges and that you know the product motion would be creating more custodial NFT exchanges or white labeling, you know, FTX as a custodial NFT exchange. And they wanted our support in building something like that out. But our focus was in launching things like Metaplex and solving problems for creators and 
at the time, the biggest issue for creators was royalty splits on chain and being able to launch their own uh, auctions and not wait for, you know, somebody like Nifty Gateway, Mm -hmm. which, you know, again, was that centralized custodial marketplace. So at that point, I think one of the, you know, little things that Sam mentioned was that he didn't see the aesthetic beauty of of NFTs. So I I think um, that was an, an example of just where there was a, a divergence in how we were viewing that new asset. And obviously, I think it's pretty exciting now to see that focusing on self-custody users and, and open source software has created this huge boom. It's what you know captured most of the users and active addresses uh, on Solana. There's like over 7.5 million wallets that hold NFTs. And that all came through organic you know, open source competition that resulted in things like Magic Eden and Hyperspace and all these other you know, multi-billion dollar companies existing. Mm-hmm. What do you think maybe we can double click on or explore rather the juxtaposition between this market's capital market participants and the technologists? I feel like it's fairly interwoven and sometimes the technologists are expected to sort of be capital markets people and, and vice versa. The capital markets people are thought of as being involved in the technology. I wonder, do you think that there will be some form of a backlash or do you feel a sort of negative sentiment among the the more developer type of person relative to some of the lenders and these traders and these investors? Do you think that the technologists in this industry are viewing the latter as mercenaries? I think that tension really comes to a head in like the value capture part. Because like I think at least to me, DeFi has proven itself like over and over again through like every, like through the 2020 shit show, right? And then mm-hmm. through this shit show, you see that like DeFi protocols actually succeeded. Even Serum, the code, like was fine. Mm-hmm. And like because it was open source, it was quickly repaired, even if like, you know, there was a centralized organizational failure the people that are using the code were really, really quickly able to completely like work around those problems. That to me is like testament to how these systems are supposed to work. But like all this stuff becomes really hard for engineers and like fuzzy is like, what's the point of like the serum token? What's the point of the Uniswap token or the Aave token? Are they actually, can they capture value or will they always be forked out if like, that ever becomes necessary. Like it becomes kind of a, there's no like clear product market fit there that everyone can point to and say, this is the way things should be done and it's proven and it works and it's a stable model that shows like great growth and and development and reinvestment and, and stuff like that. I guess one other way to put the question maybe more succinctly is putting aside the actual sentiment. As an industry, how can we sort of have an ecosystem in which the technology companies or the blockchain projects that are are building are not so susceptible, I guess, to a capital markets or a trading ecosystem that's like rife with leverage and a lack of controls and greed and, you know, very little clarity around what collateral should be, et cetera. Or is that always just going to, you know, kind of hang over as a cloud until maybe, you know, more sophisticated firms enter the market, projects like Solana will kind of have to worry about to a degree. I think you got to just keep investing in the open source technologies and like 
pushing more and more stuff on chain. And that's at the end of the day, like there's users and people that want to take a, like, I guess maybe they're reducing smart contract risk. That could be an argument to use something centralized, Yeah. but they're taking on other risks that have proven themselves like over and over to be like, just <laughs> very, very bad and <laughs> just fall over in like very bad ways. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like the smart contract risk is very clearly less risky. Can we say that definitively or no? I would agree with you. When it fails, it's pretty bad. Like, I mean, wormhole is one, right? That's a pretty good example. But mm -hmm. it's very contained. It doesn't create these like massive over leveraged loops and dominoes that just totally fall apart. So I don't know. Also, I think everything great in crypto needs to benefit. I mean, Solana's bet is we should bet on Moore's law for performance, but I think everything in crypto should be betting on Lindy effect. Mm -hmm. And you can't really have Lindy if you, you know, if it's not open source and, you know, if you're not forking out, like you totally mentioned, it could be the token, it could be anything. But um, once something's iterated on, it becomes a, a really you know, everlasting Lego to build off of. And as long as we do that, the smart contract risk comes down over time. Whereas, you know, custodial risk and transparency risk of, you know, what folks are doing in an opaque way in a centralized exchange is just going to keep recurring as long as, you know, the reserves and liabilities aren't transparent, which DeFi always brings. Wobi, one of the world's leading virtual asset exchanges, has been providing convenient and professional virtual asset services to more than 50 million users in more than 160 countries for nearly a decade. At Wobi, their mission is to make crypto accessible, building the go-to hub for the next billion crypto users. Wobi believes crypto shouldn't have any barriers to entry. Wobi is committed to asset and platform security to help you understand risks and make informed decisions to protect you and your assets. Learn more today at Wobi.com. I also want to give a shout out to Ledin. Ledin, Bitcoin-backed loans and savings by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. As we've seen, not all digital asset lenders are created equal. Ledin prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with its robust risk management approach. That is why Ledin doesn't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation strategies with its clients' assets and only supports Bitcoin and USDC two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. Ledin is also dedicated to transparency, which is why they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. So hopefully, you know, we'll see. It's a weird question, but and maybe this is just cope, but it seems like this is something that could spur further adoption of decentralized lending and exchange protocols. We've seen a bit of an uptick in the data of usage of, of DeFi exchanges. Is that a flash in the pan or could it have sticking power? That, I don't know. I think it depends what's going to drive the next cycle. This one was, I think, driven by the price of Bitcoin and most people go get Bitcoin on, on a centralized exchange. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's going to change for the next cycle? Like, I, I would hope so. I think, I hope the next one comes from like real user adoption and like real like use cases actually getting penetration with self custody. And if you have the self custody piece, 
you don't need centralized exchanges. They're here as like an intermediate step while people haven't figured out how to deal with cryptography. What do you think, Rod? Yeah, I mean, this has always been the bet for Solana as well, that the new thing that exists is cryptography in the hands of normal people. And that's only really being used if they're, you know, if they're doing self-custody and signing their own transactions every day. I think in the last cycle, we felt a little contrarian at times um, sticking to that and trying to scale that part to millions of people. And I think what we're seeing in this cycle is like probably 10x the number of folks as the last cycle are aware of the pitfalls of not having your own keys for your own crypto. And I think maybe in the next cycle, hopefully we can avoid the cataclysmic, you know, forcing function for 10x people to know the value. But there's a very strong, memorable story now for why you want to have your own keys and your own crypto um, and go self-custody. For Solana specifically, I think DeFi TVL has kind of come down a bit or, you know, yeah, uh, collapsed. It, it's gotten, yeah, but, it's but, gotten hit by yeah. like, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's like, you know, on one side of the coin, you have that, but I've noticed that the NFT volume is actually still pretty good. Maybe Solana's bet should be less the fastest decentralized version of NASDAQ to some sort of NFT centric uh, well, chain. <laughs> I think the breaking and healing of Solana DeFi is like basically kind of a, <laughs> almost like it had to happen. I think in retrospect, too much of it relied on like Alameda's liquidity and like their participation and serum and stuff. And that bandaid got ripped off really, really quickly. And now it's got to repair. Mm-hmm. So the repairing process started like within 24 hours. And the kinds of people that brought back Serum and started market making on it were not the big famous market makers. It wasn't like the, the big brands. It was the small like community hobbyists that were just doing it, you know, because they were like fans of Mango or participating in Mango or Atrix or any of the other protocols that use Serum. And those are the folks that came together and like rebuilt it and got it going again. And that's what needs to happen, I think. And the reason why the NFT ecosystem is so healthy is because that was started in a very organic way by just people forking Metaplex. And it wasn't sort of, you know, built up or concentrated. The buildup wasn't concentrated in maybe one sort of firm or entity. Yep. And now now we get like a chance to do it over with, I think, a very organic set of teams and folks that are going to build awesome products. I think uh, at the end of the day, like I think the two kind of interesting things in crypto are self-custody and then DeFi. And like I think under the hood, NFTs are DeFi. Royalties and all these other like ways to make money with NFTs for creators are some form of financial instruments, right? And their their enforcement is done through smart contracts that are very similar to DeFi smart contracts at the end of the day. Mm. And I think as these things actually grow, you know, right now they're pretty small. These are very small brands, very small little social networks, but I don't know if this is possible, right? But there is a future where you can start seeing like, if you squint hard enough, that like some of these projects end up being like the next Marvel, Mm -hmm. right? The next Hello Kitty or whatever in the (laughs) world. (laughs) And that's a... very possible. And then at that scale, I think these systems are going to be very much like DeFi is today. 
Yeah. Well, the architecture is not totally different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bit bigger audience. I think we've talked about this in the past. Yeah. You know, there's only so many people who care about, you know, more efficient trading, but, you know, art and cultural things are appealing to a wider range of folks. For sure. And when we're focusing on like making this the network better for finance, right? Making it faster, cheaper, all that stuff ends up just having better UX for all these other like Web3 applications. No one's no one's going to complain if block times get <laughs> go from 400 milliseconds to 200 milliseconds. People are only going to be happier, right? Like so, <laughs> so those are all very much aligned. What else is on the repairing process for Solana DeFi? What else is in that process? Yeah, I think what was interesting, there's already like competition mm-hmm. for like central limit order books, like Ellipsis, there was a big talk from, from Jerry on, on building out a next generation club, which is indicative of, of like kind of the code rot that like Serum ended up in, that there wasn't that much development or that much effort being put into getting it to the next version, that there was already like na- native teams on Solana were like, well, that's a big part of the DeFi ecosystem, but I can go after it because <laughs> there's nobody really like heads down pushing it as fast as they can. So that kind of competition, I think, was awesome to see even before this collapse. But now I think kind of the field is wide open for people to become that corner, you know, some other team to become that cornerstone. I think that's really important, like DeFi side, as well as getting more Lindy around lending protocols and like AMMs, like Orca and stuff like that. And that's slowly happening. You saw that like Jupiter and, and Orca and, and those folks had their highest volume days during uh, this like kind of shit show. And uh, the network itself, we've been through like congestion and outage hell <laughs> like this year. Yeah. But like right during Breakpoint, we had the vast majority of the fixes that were in the pipeline to address those problems we're in. And you actually saw that like during these massive volume spikes, the network got slammed with a big pile of bots from liquidation, but everything more or less worked as expected. Do you think we'll ever see a return to the heady days of DeFi summer, like the juicy yields and the and the yield farming? What, what did we see like, you know, a hundred thousand percent or a million percent yields? Unlike uh unlike like pickle a, swap and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean we should have known. How do we not know? Yeah. Yeah, the the vegetable coins. The vegetable coins, the food coins, as it were. Yeah, the food coins. I mean, we should have known. I think those memes are probably had their flash in the pan moment. And the next generation of adoption cycle is going to be more serious and like more like down to earth and like with real products. Like Solana phone. That's a self-custody solution. That's like pretty obvious to everyone. Like, why doesn't your phone have the seed phrase in the secure enclave? <laughs> so what happens next with that? Um, yeah, yeah, I've got one right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's getting uh, very close to launch. And like, um, you know, I think as you've seen on Twitter, it's becoming more and more important that there is an alternative path for launching applications on mobile that isn't tied to um, 
the big app stores and their moderation yeah. policies. The boogeyman. They could shut down MetaMask and Phantom and the cash and like the Coinbase wallets. Like all the self-custody solutions right now depend on the benevolence of Apple and, and Google. That's pretty scary. Yeah. And it sounds like you don't think they'll be benevolent for much longer. I think what what can keep them in check is um, credible competitors, even if small. Like even if we're selling a very tiny amount of phones per year, the fact that it exists and it's getting traction with the right folks, like with the 1% of people in the world that use self-custody like actively, if we're getting traction with them, I think that could keep the big app stores in check. Fair enough. Well, gentlemen, maybe I can get, as we wrap up your 2023 outlook, what are you most excited about? We can start with you, Toll. It's my new nickname for you, I guess, Toll. <laughs> um, uh, I'm excited about the 114 release. It's got, like, it's even faster than 113. It's got a bunch of improvements and performance. Uh, during Breakpoint, I laid out, like, I think, what was it, six or seven problems and challenges to be solved in the Solana protocol. And some of them are really, really cool. The big and hard one, I don't know if we can get to this one in the next year, um, is having the ability for multiple concurrent block producers, so multiple leaders at the same time, making blocks at the same time. And this is without sharding in a single state machine. And that's a really, really cool thing because it really creates very strong and robust competition for math, which is, I think, the like a, a really core part of how these permissionless open blockchains work, is if you don't have competitive math, you end up with, I think, a very bad environment for users, for finance, for transparency around how blocks are made. And, and like I think it's very important for that to be as competitive as possible. Raj, which of the seven problems do you think are most important to solve? Seven problems. Well, I was I was just going to answer the question about what I'm excited about in, in general. Um, Hit me. I think. Well, a couple of things. So we talked about Saga. You know, a few thousand developer kits have sold out, shipping in December, and the end user units are shipping in Q1. So I think we'll start to see, you know, really exciting mobile native applications. And we're doing another hackathon in Q1, where I think there are a lot of developers emboldened by you know, recent events to, you know, to go and become leaders of the ecosystem um, and build around the, the stuff that's still here through this market cycle. And then I, I think we didn't talk about Fire Dancer, but, you know, Jump has their second validator client that has been benchmarked in a test environment to 1.2 million TPS. So I think performance and stability in the next year are going to be moved forward very quickly. And all of this coming together, I think, should result in some really great surprises that just make use of block space in ways that we haven't seen. Got it. Just do me a favor. If anyone approaches you and asks to work with you and they talk a lot about veganism and effective altruism, just stay away. (laughs) Turn around. Well, guys, appreciate you taking the time to sort of give us this quick update. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of news to unpack in the new year. Thanks again for taking the time. For sure. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Awesome. Thank you. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest, or maybe two. Thanks for listening.